Hi, I'm Terry. And I'm Seal. We are so excited about <laughs> launching our podcast called Two Scoops, which is designed to empower you to lead a healthier lifestyle. Each episode will provide helpful tips on reframing your thinking and considering new possibilities for your life. Hi, this is Terry. And this is Seal. We are very excited to be here today with Jude Johnson. We're kind of theming off of last week. We had Dr. Jonathan Fisher, and he talked a lot about mindfulness and sort of his journey through anxiety to the other side. And we thought, you know what? We need to talk to Jude because he's a licensed therapist and a meditation teacher. And we wanted to hear from a practitioner's perspective because I know you help a lot of people kind of move through anxiety, you integrate your therapy background with your mindfulness training. So I thought we'd blast off with a question that's what are the biggest misperceptions that people have when they begin a meditation practice? Because people are like, I don't want to sit in the lotus position and I'm going to have to ohm and close my eyes and shut my brain down. I think there's just such a, a stigma sometimes or a misperception so maybe you can demystify that for us yes I think the biggest misconception about meditation is that when I close my eyes that all my thoughts are supposed to disappear and that I'm supposed to be in this perfect state of relaxation and calm and then when I have thoughts about say what's happening in the next moment or in the greater part of my day or yesterday then I think that I'm failing at the meditation practice the intention is to be with an object of awareness, most commonly your breath or your body, but your mind is going to pull you away from that. And science says 12 to 60,000 thoughts every single day. So the idea that we would be able to just shut off our thinking and just be with our breath is kind of ridiculous if you think about it. And it might just give you a big headache to try to stop all of your thinking. So what I encourage people to recognize in meditation is that we're learning to work with our thoughts. We're learning to work with what is present instead of resisting what is happening in the present. Thank you for saying that because I don't know how many times I've been in like yoga class and they tell you, you know, you're lay flat and close your eyes and like all of a sudden my mind starts racing. So that's for me, even for me, that's super helpful for you to address it that way. Going into the next question. How do you use mindfulness and meditation in your counseling practice? The first way that I use it is that I have a personal practice and I attempt to bring into each session a sense of presence so that I don't even really have to talk about mindfulness all at first. I can really listen mindfully to what's going on and pay close attention because that's really what mindfulness is all about. And then really the way I begin to infuse it in practice is to teach them what mindfulness is and how they can begin to apply this in their everyday life. So one tip that we can give the audience that they can take home with them is very simple and it's called STOP, S-T-O-P, right? And I just tell people the first step is to pause, to stop what you're doing instead of continuing to go, 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 people seem like they're human doings instead of human beings. So we'll just be for a moment and try to just notice what's happening. Take some deep conscious breaths. That's the second step. Breathing in deeply sends a message to the amygdala that even though it feels like that there's a lion here that's going to eat you, that it's not. It's in a cage. You're okay. 
right? And then breathing out slowly, twice as long as when you had inhaled, is going to bring your heart rate down. It's going to bring your blood pressure down, which then sets the stage for us to really practice what mindfulness is all about, is observing. What are we observing? Thoughts, feelings, sensations. We think of the thoughts, feelings, and sensations as clouds, weather patterns in the sky that are coming and going. And instead of trying to fix, solve, or stop those things, we're just watching them, right? Because they're going to come and they're going to go. Unpleasant emotions will be. Pleasant emotions will be. And really what we want to do is when they're coming, recognize them. Ah, I can name, I can mentally note what is happening so that then it doesn't have so much power over me. I can see what it is. And then after I've practiced mindfulness like this in a kind of nurturing way, of course, right? Because you're not criticizing yourself while you're observing. Because if you are, then you're human, right? But if you are, you can bring awareness to that. And then the self-criticism becomes less powerful because you can see it. You can notice that it's a habit. And then when we move to the next step, it's just moving into your everyday life of what do I do next? How can I bring my full awareness and attention to this moment? And if we're taking care of the moment prior, we're going to show up in a different way right now, right? And, and the now is really we're just constantly touching into the future which is why I think our minds like to run further and further away into the future to try to figure all this out. Because we're not comfortable with uncertainty. We feel at ease when people tell us, like, okay, here's what to expect, right? You go to the doctor's office, you don't want them doing a bunch of procedures with big, large syringes saying, okay, just lay back and close your eyes. No, you're going to want them to explain to you exactly what they're doing. And as they do, it puts us at ease, right? So we can be at ease with what's happening right now because we know it, right? The future's always unknown. But if we can learn to be in this present moment, a lot of times we'll realize there's not a problem. You know, I teach yoga and do a bit of mindfulness work myself. And what you just said was a beautiful explanation. And I think at the end of the day, just learning how to be present, fully connected in the moment, awake mm -hmm. and aware without judgment and mm -hmm. you and I've spoken about helping people gain a greater ability to have self-awareness and self-compassion and that meta attention the ability to be fully present enough to almost step back and be a witness to what's going on and processing that in a way that is this real is it not but having the capacity to slow the mind down to give yourself that pause and the ability to truly process in the moment what you're experiencing without an immediate reaction or an attachment or telling the story. And it is so easy for old patterns of thinking to keep swirling and swirling and swirling. Right. And so it's almost like taking the needle off the record so that you're not stuck in that groove. And I wanted, before I move into this next question, because I wanted to compliment you, this was something that occurred probably seven or so months ago when we were co-creating that workshop together yes. and I'm a little bit of an a personality type which is why yoga and meditation are so good for me is I came flying in here as you can imagine to seal on fire <laughs> and, and, and Jude and I were trying to work out all the logistics as far as the um, workshop was concerned yes. and you said can you do me a favor and I'm like sure and you're like can we just sit in stillness for three minutes 
can we meditate? And I thought, oh, Jude is working his magic. And so you put your little timer on, and we were just breathing in and breathing out. I thought, Jude is doing this as much for himself as he is for me because he wants to have a calm meeting. And so, touche, you didn't even tell me what you were doing, but you just naturally integrated it into our session, which leads me into (laughs) how do you sneak that into your sessions? And then what are some of the primary reasons? And this is sort of a bigger picture of why people – come to counseling so I kind of asked you right. two and so one. two questions so the first question is really how do I like work this into the session of practicing <laughs> mindfulness without, us, without yeah without us realizing yeah. it without you kind so of knowing know, what is he doing yes there's no magic involved even though it feels magical after the practice for many people because they get in touch with the part of themselves that they're not used to paying attention to yeah. it's like having a key to a lock in your pocket but you don't know it's there But we all have the same capacity to pay attention and to be present in the moment. And so many people, and I'm flattered, will come up and oh, thank you so much for that. For pointing you into a direction that you chose to pay attention, which produced something that was positive within you. So really, you just did it yourself, and I just pointed the direction. So we have gratitude, of course, for each other. and, And I have gratitude for the teachers that have taught me how to practice mindfulness. But really the way to get it into the session is to really talk about the neuroscience, right? As I tell people, you know, what fires together in your brain, wires together in your brain and creates a pathway. So we are creatures of habit and routine. And when habit and routine goes on, we stop becoming conscious. We check out and we just go on automatic pilot. And so what that can produce is you miss your life. You're going, going, going. And where is the room for appreciation of really what's happening now? Like, am I in the shower this morning or am I in the meeting that's happening after the shower? I want to enjoy the shower. And so that's what I help them see is like, here's what neuroscience says. Here's all the research behind mindfulness and meditation. You may not become a meditation practitioner, but you certainly want to pay close attention to your life or else you'll miss it. Yeah. And you don't want to wake up one day and be like, where did it go? And some people come to this practice at various points in their lives and they're so angry. Oh, I haven't been paying attention in my life. And there's grief there. There's sadness. But the truth is, but you have now. Yeah. You have now. So wake up now and appreciate what you do have and let that fuel your practice. And the other way is that when people begin to practice what I'm teaching, they start to come back and they tell me, oh, this is actually working, right? And for some people, it's a longer road than others because some people have had a lot more trauma than others, a lot more difficulty. So there's a lot of unpacking to do. There's a lot of old habits to protect them in situations where they felt vulnerable and scared and they needed control. And so a lot of times it's about me helping them understand that I really understand how you feel because you're not the first person that's told me this story that's so familiar. And there's history in my own family of trauma in my dad's childhood that made me really look at why does this happen? Why do other people try to control each other in these ways that are unhealthy? And it's just habit. It's just routine. If we can begin to start to look at like how other people have been wounded, 
then we see the reason for their behavior and we can let go more easily. It's not about condoning anyone's wrongdoing or how they may come off negatively to us. But ultimately what I'm helping people do is to wake up to their own life and what matters to them so they can live more authentically with the people that they love and that they care about. And the proof is in how they begin to see their life differently, how they can let go of some of the things that have trapped them and held them back from living a more full life. And really, isn't that the biggest tragedy that we ever really go through is if you don't really live your life. Yeah, there were a lot of themes in what you just said that I think is going to lead to what are the major reasons you see people coming into counseling? You mentioned mm. family of origin, trauma, but I thought I would just move right. back to that question. And Thank see. you for keeping me on no, point. No, no. Well, no. I mean, you were really answering it embedded in, in your other answer, but I wanted to make sure that the uh, listening audience got a, a very clear feel from right. you because I think everybody's going to be able to hear their own story and what you're about right. to share. And I believe that people come to counseling because of the trauma of life. Mm. If I'm perfectly honest, right? And it's the traumas of life sometimes are capital T traumas where we have been through physical, emotional, sexual abuse drives people into therapy, of course. Uh, when they have uh, family members who have substance abuse problems that they can't seem to control and they feel at a loss, that drives them into counseling. Betrayals, breakups, relationships, all of these things, financial stress, illness, pain, death loss yeah and everything really is we lose it all everything that we have in life we lose age right we can't stop it we can't stop uh, the people that we care about most from sometimes leaving or changing and so we're constantly trying to control which is why we develop these control strategies to deal with many times what is overwhelming for us and what's interesting is that one of the best ways to work with it is to learn how to be with it instead of trying to control it all. Well said. Well said. Okay, so we just want to kind of take this a step further. How do people learn meditation best? Is it through an app? Is it a class? What is the best way for somebody to start that's never even attempted meditation? Right. I would say that if I were to give a gold standard, it would be in a classroom setting or really whatever. It's also about the person's readiness. So wherever they are along the path, I mean, if a app is going to be where they can start, then that is the best place for them. But ultimately, the best place to learn is in a circle and in a community of people who are learning this, right? And um, so that you can talk to your neighbor about, like, what was that like for you? This is new to me. Um, and that dialogue and connection with other people as they're learning meditation seems to be very helpful for them. Um, I teach an eight-week class called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And the investment is intense, though. It's two and a half hours eight times in an all-day retreat. So I think a lot of times people look at that and they're like, how am I gonna fit that into my life? How much time do I have? Oh my gosh, I don't have time for this. But then the question is, are you making time for the things that matter most to you in your life? And paying attention to what's happening in your life is pretty important, but an app could be the key to you getting in. And I think we still though do learn best in a community, in a circle, and then people can really feel that exchange of like, okay, we're in this together. It's kind of like exercise. Many times we do it so much better in a group because we have that group 
feel right around you community well and and the other part to this is in really defining that there's a separation between yoga and meditation Mm -hmm. so when you're talking about meditation and we go into a class setting what does that look like oh great question so it it starts out with me giving some examples maybe some stories to illustrate mindfulness and what it really means describing what kind of meditation that we're going to be doing and then leading them through a meditation so I'll ring a little meditation bell like I have right here to begin and end the meditations and during that process I'm encouraging them to follow along to the best of their ability but to know that hey your mind's gonna go in different places you're going to attempt to just be understanding and kind to yourself bringing yourself back to the present moment and then we'll also do some mindful yoga so we will do very gentle hatha yoga movements as part of the class as well And I honestly look at meditation and yoga as being really, one is often a still meditation, and the other one is a movement meditation, especially if you're bringing this intention of being mindful and present, right? Which is the intention of yoga, is yoking the body and the mind together. So we explore various types of meditation like body scan, is where we begin because most people are not paying attention to their body they're paying attention to their mind so we need them to be paying attention to both of them simultaneously and so we make friends with the wandering mind the critical mind and we try to keep seeing that these things are just clouds and people need lots of reminders and support in that because they still can't seem to believe it sometime for weeks right or they'll forget because mindfulness and meditation is really a process of I'm forgetting okay now I'm remembering okay this is what it really is you know that's a great question seal because I think a lot of people do yoga for various reasons some do yoga as a very strong form of physical practice mm-hmm. so asana is the physical movement piece of yoga but I do believe more people are beginning to slow it down a little bit to integrate and to move with greater mindfulness, to be more awake in the moment, to do exactly what you said, to yoke mind, body, and heart, and get out of your head and drop into your body and really feel your way through the practice. And to make friends with the wandering mind and to know that walkabout is gonna be happening a lot. (laughs) We just, without judgment, invite it back. I would say, teachers that are integrating more intentional meditation are talking about mindfulness that are slowing things down are really inviting people to experience mindfulness through the movement as you mentioned they can yoke together and work simultaneously the fast furious workout yoga is great because i do it but that's why i'm doing it to get a fast furious cardiovascular workout what you're talking about with the yin yoga and the softer stretching is such a beautiful way to introduce mm-hmm. even yoga to people that do meditation and vice versa right. so it's it's i think we've got a, a good decade ahead of us to see how all this begins to weave more tightly together and i wanted to ask you because i know you have an app you're on an oh, app, yes. and we talked about the app and you know it's a baby step right right but the in-person having the tribe is probably the strongest way to come together as a community and really move forward. Advancing your own practice and being with like-minded people is very powerful. Right. But some folks are not going to ever step into that arena, and the app Mm -hmm. is a virtual way to bring meditation to them. 
and it is a baby step, but it's a yes. great first step. And I know you have an app, so I wanted you to talk right. about that for a second. So if I may, I will just tell you the platforms that I'm on succinctly. Love it. Um, so I'm on Simple Habit, which is a meditation app for busy professionals. Um, and so the sweet spot there is about five minutes, but you have meditations ranging. Um, I have 26 meditations on there. I'm on a platform called Yoga Vibes that does guided meditation. I have like seven or eight videos. It's a video uh, format, so there's yoga as well on there. And then the last platform that I'm on is the Monarch Center for Wellness, which is a nonprofit where we've developed self-paced online meditation courses for anxiety, depression, and stress. Um, and those are available to the Monarch employees. So we're encouraging them to participate in that and to teach the employees how to practice more mindfulness because it's always been a vision of mine for people in the helping professions to really have a deep understanding of how to practice, right? I tell people all the time that my very first client of the day has to be me. Like, I have to be showing up and doing the work and doing the practice so that I can help people show up too, right? If it's coming from an authentic place, which I know you both know because you're authentic practitioners yourself and fitness and yoga and mindfulness. And so you're really bringing your best self to people. And that's why people follow you is that they see something that they know is also inside of them and they want that to shine too. I know we're gonna ask you a couple of more mm -hmm. questions, but staying in that vein of how people can reach right. you, can you share your website? And I know you've got a mindfulness-based stress reduction program coming up. And you know, if you're in and around Charlotte, we both know Jude personally, and he is an amazing human being, number one, and a wonderful educator. And I just wanted, people that are interested in learning more that mm -hmm. might want to take that bigger yes. plunge into the world of mindfulness and meditation. Can you share about that program? Absolutely. So you can go to akeenmind.com and then from there you can learn about mindfulness-based stress reduction, which I'll be doing an orientation coming up on March the 9th. Uh, this probably won't drop until after the orientation, but if you really want to take the class, it begins the following week so you can talk to me and I can kind of cue you in to a written orientation so you can understand all the ins and outs of what it's like to take a meditation class like this and if you ever want to teach meditation through the Center for Mindfulness then you would actually need this class as a prerequisite okay. um, I'm actually mm -hmm. looking at that and you guys the credentialing required to do what Jude is doing is incredibly difficult and I say that because doing a deep dive and looking at the the years and the hours right. that you have committed to be able to bring this practice into your therapy practice and to see those two integrate is a beautiful thing and mm -hmm. and I'm gonna ask seal this question too because I think I'll self-admit first I've been to plenty of counseling for all kinds of reasons <laughs> and I think that thank you for is, sharing that. I know right well I feel like counseling has really helped me I've been through a divorce I've lost my mom this year mm. and those are two pretty significant traumas and there are other child traumas that you work through but you I'm so sorry for your loss well and thank you it was rough and mindfulness and yoga and people like you you guys helped me get through it and it's having that mm. sense of community but it's also being still and feeling your way through it yeah. you know we think we can push our way through healing but all the stages of healing that we talk about grief and we even did a podcast on that 
you have to go through it right. to get to the other side and you bounce back and forth. And mm -hmm. so for me, in being in counseling, you know, often you dive right in and it stays very much in the head. Mm -hmm. And so what I really value and I want you to speak about it is you are inviting people to get out of their heads and into their bodies and into their hearts right. by integrating these two modalities together, I think is a much more holistic mm -hmm. way to help someone move through to the other side of sadness or guilt or whatever they are experiencing in the form of trauma, something in their life that's holding them back. And I just think that you're rare in that you have the ability to do both and you're credentialed in both. And so I might ask Seal, you know, I think you've been in some counseling. Just I think we talked about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So like maybe, I, I was gonna say, no shame in my game. Like I, the counseling, I'd encourage anyone to go to it. I think a lot of people, um, at first, are like counseling. Like it's you know, shh, don't talk about it. But right. I really think it's important. I think it's important to have a place you can go and open up and just kind of lay everything out on the table, mm -hmm. and know that you're not being judged for it and help you sort through. And I think what you're doing is taking it a step further because I've been to counseling and I've had the opportunity to really open up and discover things about myself mm -hmm. that I didn't even realize, mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't have this piece to it. I was going to yoga and doing meditation at the same time, like right. you know, having that piece kind of added, but the fact that you do it like within the counseling, I think is, will definitely help people as far as even in the healing process and being able to give you a way to cope right. and help address like the wandering thoughts and the things that continue to come back and show up. Mm -hmm. uh, but what you actually are giving some practical ways to attack that. So I think that's really important. Thank that's you. That's what I was going to ask you is maybe to demystify where your counseling is a bit different from what we might have experienced with traditional counseling. Cause I think that, it's a piece that people are curious, but maybe right. have a little bit of not quite right. certain what this would mean in the form of a counseling session. Right. I really get them to start practicing the stop skill at first that I described. And then as we move into greater levels of trust and openness, as people begin to share and they feel comfortable, because number one, I don't want people to share when they're not comfortable. I want them to feel like this is really, truly a safe place and they have to explore that with me. You know, everybody's like, okay, what if I tell you this? Like, how are you going to respond to this? Or, you know, we have shame about some of the things that we'll talk about. Oh, I can't, oh, I can't believe I'm saying this. Right. And so, but once we can get into that space, I really invite them to notice and reflect on and recognize what's going on right now. Can you mentally note what's happening? Ah, unpleasantness, ah, shame. Okay, now, where do you feel the shame? Like, really? Go ahead and close your eyes. Notice, is it in your throat? Is it in your heart? It is in your belly? How is it living inside of you? And then ask that pain, that difficulty, what does it need from you? Does it need you to be understanding, friendly? Many times we've been through trauma and it has gone left unprocessed. And so trauma is really stuck inside the body. So in my belief and understanding and, and a lot of reading and training is that we really end up having to feel 
in order to heal from the things that maybe we've been running from or that we've been trying to push away in our lives. And it's not to say that you need to do it now. You have to do it in your own timing. It's not about forcing yourself to feel. It's about dipping your toe in the water and noticing what is it like for me to be present with this vulnerability that I have. And many times we need somebody to sit right there in the midst of that pain and be beside us, not telling us what to do or how to feel or how I should be. Or I want to fix you. We grow up in different families of origin and we experience life in different ways mm -hmm. and we get educated by what we observe. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember my family or middle school, high school, college, anybody ever talking to me about being more mindful, to pause and be present in the moment, to learn to process emotion, number one, to recognize them and to give myself compassion. So it's interesting if we've never, it's like you don't know what you don't know. And if we've never been given tools or even encouraged to pause and connect, right. it's like how do we really learn how to feel to heal? And I believe that this mindfulness movement that we're experiencing, like sort of join the pause and things that are showing up in the media, books, you know, people that are doing lectures, people like you that are championing change and creating greater awareness in this mm -hmm. space is is incredibly valuable because first people have to be aware mm -hmm. before they can wake up in their own bodies and counseling and yoga mindfulness trainings like you're doing even these virtual apps that are encouraging people to just stop yes i think are probably some of the most amazing things that i'm beginning to witness more and more of and i'm personally happy because it reminds me of how important it is but then for those people who haven't been sort of on the what i would call the leading edge of this wave and mm -hmm. i think the three of us are and i'm thankful for that but how many more people can we reach and touch mm -hmm. even if it's just a baby step and then it's like a ripple you drop a, a, a pebble in the pond and you feel this ripple effect so i mean i'm very happy to be present with the three of you guys because mm. i really believe that we are change agents and i believe that we're more powerful when we work together and i'm really seeing a shift in our cultural consciousness towards more pause and more pre being more present so i'm happy to be witnessing yes i think it's a powerful thing to be part of you know and let me just mention uh lindsey bridges from the charlotte center for mindfulness because she turned that organization into a non-profit she has gone and done mindfulness in the prisons and with kids in title one schools and it's her and many, many, many other people around the globe who are beginning to recognize the deep impact of living in the present moment and the benefits of mindfulness and meditation and what this can do to really raise up a level of awareness that can transform how we work with trauma, how we can connect to each other and focus on how we can cooperate more and not be so influenced by things the media might be telling us that we should be paying attention to. And now let me just say that it's okay to be informed, right? You should be informed. And I'm not here to make any kind of statement about like what you pay attention to with media. What do you want to pay attention to? And that, I believe, is what the power of mindfulness is about, is what am I going to pay attention to and what brings a sense of 
happiness to my life and is what I am paying attention to in my life bringing me the kind of joy that I want? And so that's a question we all have to ask ourselves that we get pulled into things that we don't want to be blind to, but we also want to live life because that will be the inspiration for other people around us to keep practicing and to champion this way of paying attention. Well, you think about even just the word pause and it's how can that pause be the bridge between a thought and emotion and reaction and we and we can take a minute to process and not just react based on old patterns being triggered because of right. our natural tendency because that's ingrained how can we take a minute to almost question our own understanding of what we're experiencing either internally or externally and probably both at the same time candidly because that's how right because we, we take in information we live in a culture of fear and comparison and judgment and if we don't feel like that we're stacking up to the you know five people that we hang out with the most then we're not going to feel so good about ourselves and that that's that inner critic that we need to make friends with to help quiet down to recognize that that inner critic is not who you are, but you need to make friends with that inner critic so that it doesn't have to overpower you. That inner critic did serve a purpose at some point, but maybe no longer. And I know SEAL does some great work in this area with your Be Amazing, and it's all around how can we feel better about ourselves from the inside out. And I guarantee you every single person that is listening to this podcast has that voice that's not always saying the nicest of things. And it's how can we tame that critic, but with compassion, right? understanding, patience, reframing, pausing. And I just had a video yesterday um, actually posted on my page for my clients and being very open about my own struggle and about my own because a lot of times I think people in the wellness industry whether you're in fitness or you're in uh, mindfulness or you're yoga or whatever a lot of times they think that we've got like this great handle on life and that it's above some of the negative talk that we have going on in our own heads and so that was something for me yesterday I actually just did a video for my clients saying that here's the real deal <laughs> like <laughs> here's how it goes down like and here here are my struggles and here are where they started and here's what I'm having to do and my husband reminded me give yourself compassion because I will let I will beat myself up emotionally mm. I will beat myself up in my head nobody else may know what's going on but right. that's what's going on inside me and so learning how to give myself compassion and allow myself to feel First of all, like, mm -hmm. you know, this is where I'm at. This mm -hmm. is real. Acknowledge it. Yep. And say, you know, whether even sometimes writing it down, like this is this is it. This is <laughs> this is how I feel right now. But then, you know, going back to um, being present, being grateful, taking a minute to pause and just being is been really helpful. So all mm. of this discussion is, I think, kind of meets us all where we are, no matter where you are in your life no matter if you're in the car and not driving, no matter if you're sitting at your desk, wherever the case may be, I think we all, this is a, like very relatable. And I think it takes a lot of courage for you to 
to tell your audience, like, here's what I struggle with, as well as what you said earlier, Terry, about your losses, that it's so important for people to understand that, well, you may think that, you know, everything is perfect in my life because I'm a fitness person or I'm a yoga instructor, I'm a meditation teacher and counselor. Well, you must never have problems, right? Like I'm even more aware, you know? Uh, and of right. course, we all have struggles and difficulties, and that's what makes us human. And when we can begin to talk openly about some of those things, it brings us together and it stops us making, making us feel like we're all alone, right? And that's part of what mindfulness is about is remembering, I'm not alone in this. There are other people who feel just like me. And I think that's a great place to begin to wrap up in terms of you're not alone none of us are alone and don't sit in a space by yourself trying to work it out alone there are resources there are people around you that can walk through the darkness with you and help you get to the other side and just because you're in the darkness doesn't mean you have to stay there so Mm. just if i mean i think this is seal and i's heart don't go it alone have a partner talk to somebody it can even be your church a counselor a best friend just don't sit by yourself. Absolutely. And we have two fun last. Well, I guess it is our last minute's <laughs> questions. Is one is kind of silly, and then one we want to have you share two major takeaways that if somebody listened to this entire podcast, if you had to speak from your heart, what mm-hmm. you would like for them to hear as the right. most important two takeaways. Okay. And then the other, which is kind of the silly one, is what is your favorite ice cream? <laughs> My favorite ice cream. Mm, like I'll start with that one. <laughs> yeah. My favorite ice cream is the Harris Teeter brand <laughs> peanut butter chocolate oh swirl. Oh my gosh. I'm a peanut butter fan, okay? So it used to be mint chocolate chip, but I still have a deep heart for mint chocolate chip too. But <laughs> And actually, let's just say cotton candy one time I had in Niagara Falls was unbelievable. Cotton candy ice cream. Oh, I don't know. I can't decide. They're all so good. That's uh, yeah, you, you've given some diversity. Nobody yes. said the cotton candy. Like, yes. No, it's like three, three very different flavors. And it's funny to me how like everybody gets excited about this one question. <laughs> I know. Everybody lights up like, like my like, dopamine's going crazy. I'm thinking about eating it now. I know. Right. I love it. I love it. I love it. So how about your um, the two takeaways? We're putting you on the spot. But no. Yes. Yes. The two takeaways would I, I'd say number one is allow yourself to begin to feel what's really going on and you can do that through writing talking to friends if that doesn't seem to be enough then go seek somebody out who can help you and maybe the first counselor you meet isn't a good fit right i'm not a good fit for everyone we have to check this out and see like do i feel safe do i feel okay so get the help that you need in that way and and then i would say the second thing is remember to pause and have gratitude Mm. we didn't talk much about gratitude but seal mentioned it and and gratitude is really a part of what mindfulness is all about and a core component of what i teach and i practice it every day and i can tell you it is one of the keys to living a happier life We want to meditate on the things that are working in our lives. So I hope your audience will do that, and I hope it makes them feel better. Well, how can we all ground in gratitude? So, so very true. 
So, Seal, you want to share how folks can get in touch with us? Yes, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Two Scoops of Inspiration. And then also feel free to send us a message, uh, Two Scoops of Inspiration at gmail.com. If you have questions for Jude or if you have any other thoughts you'd like to share, feel free to reach out. And let's just end it with the sound of a meditation bell. Thank you all, and thank you for having me.